You can open your Bibles uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're beginning a new series. If you loved David, don't worry. We'll be back to David. Uh, but we're going to take a little hiatus in Ephesians and pick up there. So let's, let's begin with the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read the first three verses for you. The text opens up like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now just imagine you're the recipient of this letter as you hear it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As we open up this series, I, I want to talk to you this morning about the power of perspective. You see, I want to suggest that perspective really makes the difference. It can make or break things for you. How do you understand the world? How do you understand your identity? Do you feel like God has blessed you, or do you feel like God is withholding from you? You really, really get down to the core of things as you start analyzing your perspective. And here, Paul is giving us a perspective. He says that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. How does that strike you? Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Does it make a difference? You see, perspective is everything when you think about it. I could have everything and not realize I have everything. I could value the wrong things and put all of my value into those things when really real value lies over here. Let me give you an example of that this morning. Imagine that I had two 50-gallon drums here on the stage with me. And, and on this left side of the stage where I'm standing, I have a 50-gallon drum, and, and the drum is just full to the brim with $100 bills. I mean, top to bottom. You ask, how many $100 bills is that? And I say, I don't know. I haven't done the math, but it's lots. It's thousands and thousands of $100 bills over here. Now, on the other side of the stage, I have another... 50-gallon barrel, you look inside of it, it seems empty, and I say, this barrel is filled with every spiritual blessing that is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the question. If I gave you the option, which barrel would you choose right now? Now, we might give the Sunday school answer and say, I'm choosing the blessings, but I'll tell you what, most of us are walking out with the $100 bills unless... We have a change of perspective unless I come to realize that this is far more valuable than some kind of a physical commodity. Let's be honest. I can smell $100 bills and spend them. What can I do with spiritual blessings? Well, Paul, this morning, he's saying, listen, you've got to change your outlook you are far richer than you ever realized. I mean, you're richer than an early adopter of Bitcoin. 
You're richer than Elon Musk. You have more money at your disposal than the total annual GDP of the United States of America. Now we think, I don't feel rich like that. Well, you would if you saw the world the way Paul sees the world. So let's listen to what he has to say. He's going to enumerate blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus. We'll look at verse 3 and we'll go down to verse 14. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So as we look at this text this morning, I am going to be enumerating six blessings to you that I see in the text. The first is found in verses 3 and 4. Paul says, you are chosen. Now listen, already in a passage that's meant to inspire us and, and cause us to worship God for His goodness and celebrate all that we have in Christ, we come across a theological word that has much debate, even division around it in the church. I'm talking about the word chosen, and from this word, there is behind it the doctrine of election. In fact, there have been several isms by which Christians tend to identify themselves depending how they understand this doctrine. I'm speaking namely of Calvinism, Arminianism, and you may never have heard of this one, Molinism. Now, some of you are like, you've got me completely lost right now. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, here's the thing. I'm not trying to get us all confused this morning. I'm actually talking to us and saying, listen, as you think about isms, it's best to hold to isms with an open hand, okay? Here's the deal. All of these people that look at this differently, they love God and they love Jesus and they hold to a value which is they really want to know what the Bible is really saying. 
I don't know about you, but the more I study the Word of God, the more I come to the realization that I am still learning. I don't have it all figured out. I have to enter the Word of God through the lens of humility. Now, as I look at verse 3, and I understand it, I submit that as you study the Bible, take the Bible at face value. And what does it say? He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now, don't be afraid of what Paul is saying here. I just read it to you out of the Bible. As you look at the Bible, it says that election and choosing is biblical. It's not an ism. It's a biblical doctrine. God chooses to do everything he does, doesn't he? I mean, he chose to create you, and he chose to create me. It tells us in the Bible that he chose the nation of Israel. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, he chose them not because they were superior to all the nations of the world. He chose them, why? Because he chose to love them. And it says right here in the Bible, he chose us. Now, even as we think about that and some of the struggle that we might face as we think about a doctrine like this is, well, does that mean that I have no choice? <laughs> that I'm just kind of a puppet living in a world that's already predetermined? I don't think you should read the Bible that way. Uh, you asked the question, when I believed in Jesus, was that really a choice? Absolutely. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Of course, that was a choice. Uh, if I go and I tell someone about Jesus, does that mean then that that person really doesn't have an option to choose Jesus? Of course it doesn't mean that. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In fact, as I look at the Bible, I understand that people have what is called agency. Another way that we talk about agency is free will. So agency just simply means this. It means that I have real choices before me, I can make real actions that have real consequences. Uh, don't view the world as so predetermined that if you were walking and you fell down a flight of stairs tomorrow, you wouldn't get up and dust yourself off and say, boy, I'm really glad that's over with. No, you have agency. You should get up and dust yourself off and say, I should be more careful next time. Okay? You chose God. I chose him. But then we start getting confused. Well, which is it? Did I choose him or did he choose me? Well, I want to say yes to both. That's right. You trusted him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But also, I fully believe that salvation is of the Lord. Can you say that with me? Salvation is of the Lord. And here's what we mean when we say that. Yes, I chose him, but only after he chose me first. I came to Jesus, but who had to come to me first? Well, Jesus had to come to me first. As you think about this beautiful doctrine, it's also humbling. Think through the implications for a moment. God chose you. And we live in a world right now where many of us have lived with the experience of not being chosen. Like, I wasn't 
chosen from my college of choice or I aspired to this athletic team and I wasn't chosen or I wasn't chosen for that job and or promotion that I've been working so hard for or I had this love interest and he or she didn't choose me or worse of all, a spouse who didn't choose me. Not chosen, one author writes, carries the blunt message that I have no worth, that I'm not useful, that I'm good for nothing. But against the backdrop of what is common to us of not being noticed or being ignored or being dismissed or being indistinguishable from the background, Ephesians 1.4 has a powerful verb, chosen. God chose you. And it was so purposeful. Look at all of the purpose and the words that Paul uses here. He talks about predestination, good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure to do this. His will, His purpose. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, it means God chose you before the foundations of the world to be His people, to be holy like He is holy, to be one day blameless, like Jesus Christ is blameless. So, if I'm chosen, what am I chosen for? What's God's purpose in that? Well, that's the next blessing. You were predestined for adoption. Here's another challenging term, but I want to suggest to you that sometimes when you break a term up, it's a little easier to understand it. So, predestination, pre meaning before, destination signifying where you are going. So one way to think of predestination is like this. Before your trip started, God guaranteed where it's going to end. You know, if I was to jump on a plane from Boston today and, and that plane was heading to Dallas, I would expect at the end of the trip that when I get out of the plane, I would be in Dallas because the ticket says Dallas. Now, if the flight ended and I found myself in Anchorage, Alaska, I might be a little salty when I get off the plane. Not because there's anything wrong with Alaska. It's a pretty cool place, actually. But that's not where they said I was heading. Well, God not only chooses you, but he guarantees your destination. You are predestined to arrive where God says you will arrive. And what is your destiny? What is your destination in Christ? Well, look at verse 5. He predestined you for adoption to himself. Just let that truth penetrate your heart this morning. Let it sink in. God chose you to bring you into a personal relationship with himself as his own child. Now, against the backdrop of that is Roman adoption. And in this time, they understood adoption to mean that I'm coming into this family and I get all of the rights and privileges and responsibilities of a biological child of the family. So here, God is saying that you get all of the rights and the privileges of the beloved. Now, who is the capital B beloved? It's Jesus. So as God's adopted son or daughter, you're caught up in the fatherly love that God the Father has for God the Son. 
some of us ask the question, well, why did God go ahead with creation if he knew that it would be followed by the fall? That's a big question. Well, John Stott suggests that one tentative answer we can give to that question is that God destined us for something higher, a higher dignity than was bestowed even at creation. And what was that at creation? It was you're an image bearer and you're a steward of creation. But now we get an upgrade in status. We're brought into his own family as an adopted child. Wow. And it all points to this third blessing that you're lavished with grace. In verses 7 and 8, words addressing our salvation are just strung together. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. Each word theologically important. Redemption means that you were bought with a price. And what was the price of your redemption? It was the precious blood of the Son of God. Forgiveness means that God no longer holds your sins against you. It's almost as if God has chosen to forgot them, as if he doesn't remember them anymore. Of course, God can't forget anything, but he chooses not to ever bring them up again in that sort of way. As a result, we now have free access to the Heavenly Father. But I'll tell you, the word that captures my imagination in this text is the word lavish. I mean, that word means sumptuously rich, elaborate, luxurious uh, to an order that you can't even begin to think about. The word is used some 78 times in the New Testament. Paul uses the word 45 of those times. You can't get enough of the word. We even begin to question Paul. Is this like your go-to word? Are you starting to use it a little too much? But the answer is no. Because a hyperbole when it comes to grace is always an understatement. Always. I mean, we sing about amazing grace and we love that song. It touches the depths of our heart as we sing it. But I'll tell you, it doesn't go far enough to talk about the grace of God. We try to put pictures in our mind of the grace of God, and we say it's as vast as an ocean, but that's still too small to capture the idea of God's grace. In fact, here this morning, Paul's saying it's priceless. You can't put a value to it. It's far more valuable than this whole stage full of drums of $100 bills. Why is it so priceless? I once was eternally lost, but now I'm eternally found. I once was blind to the destructiveness of my own sin, but now I can see because I have a Savior, and this Savior meets me at the bloody cross, but not with condemnation, but with grace. What's more priceless than the blood of Jesus? In verse 9, Paul cites another blessing. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, or you could think of it like this. He's informed you. He's given you insider information. The word mystery 
meaning that this is something known only to the mind of God. No one else has access to this information, but now God has chosen to disclose this information. And what has God informed us of? Well, God intends to unite all things in Him, in Him being Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. Paul's saying, that God is going to bring all things together. He's going to restore all of creation under one head, Jesus Christ. Because presently, you live in a universe that is disunified, disordered, disrupted. We need that to be brought to an end. And, and Paul's saying there's going to be a fullness of time. You're being informed that God has a plan. God has a time when everything will be brought together under the peaceful rule of Christ. Now, how did we get to this place? Well, you've got to go back to the fall. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. We ask the question, well, what did that, you know, why is that such a big deal? They took a bite out of a piece of fruit. Is that a significant thing? Well, understand this. If, if you look at it that way, you are greatly underrepresenting what happened there. You see, when Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit, they were joining forces with Satan's invasion of God's created order and bringing all of humanity with them. That's why we need forgiveness. From my birth until the time that I trusted Christ, I've been living as a rebel against God. And think about this. Nothing is right until an incursion of this magnitude is made right. We're watching a living parable of it right now, aren't we? It's playing out in the world stage. At the end of the service, we're going to be praying for Ukraine. We're going to be praying for the people of Ukraine because it's terrible what's happened there. I mean, suffering, disruption, disorder. It's happening even right now because the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, has determined to invade the national sovereign territory of the Ukraine. And I can say this unequivocally, his actions are an act of aggression and they're evil. Okay, we can't lose the word evil. We've tried to like throw it away and find other terms to talk about certain actions, but this is unequivocally evil. It's wrong. Now Ukraine cannot experience the peace and the order and the unity that it experienced just weeks ago until these invading forces are removed from their country. Well, likewise, the universe cannot be brought back into peace and order and unity until all things are brought back together and restored under the leadership of Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeing in the Bible this morning. And let me tell you this, if your heart breaks for Ukraine like my heart is breaking for Ukraine, we should long for the return of Jesus. Because you know what? He's going to kick despotic rulers like Vladimir Putin's out. He's not going to contend with those types. He's going to be a benevolent ruler. And here we are in God's word, and we are informed. We're not throwing 
platitudes at this, like, oh, I hope things go well for people. No, this is what God tells us is going to happen. Amen. Well, let's look at the final two blessings. And I put these two blessings together because in reality, they really go hand in hand. Blessing number five says, you have an inheritance. That's verses 11 and 12. And then blessing number six says, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's read that little portion again, and we'll see how they go together. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's how they work together. Paul says, you have an inheritance. What is that inheritance? It's heaven. It's heaven. And as a Christian, heaven is a place that I should long for, that I should dream about, that I should anticipate, and most of all, live for right now. But let's be real. Sometimes heaven feels too good to be true. So God wishes to assure our hearts that heaven is real. Now, how did he go about doing this? Well, the scriptures say he provided us with another gift, the Holy Spirit. And think about the generosity of God we're seeing this morning in the way God gives of himself to us. He gives his son so that we might be saved. He gives the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in the believer's heart, assuring the believer's heart of heaven which is to come. God is generous. Do you think he wants his people to be generous? Of course. And Paul tells us three things about this Holy Spirit. First, he tells us that the Holy Spirit was promised. The Old Testament prophets and Jesus himself said that the Spirit of God would come, and he has. And already we see that God is a promise-keeping God. We also learn that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. A seal is a mark of ownership, of authenticity. So, God puts his spirit within his people to mark his people as his own. And sometimes we struggle in our emotions. We might think that maybe I could lose my salvation or, or maybe this glorious future that God is describing here in the Bible, maybe that won't come. But here's the deal. God has sealed you. It's his seal. It's not your seal. He put it there. You didn't put it there. And the Bible says this, God is the only one who can remove the seal and he doesn't intend to. I mean, let that assure your heart this morning. And we know this because of the third thing we see here about the Holy Spirit. He's a guarantee. Or you could think of him as a down payment. In the ancient commercial transactions, a down payment was required to make a contract valid. So, 
A down payment is a little different than an engagement ring, right? Engagement ring is not the marriage itself. It's, I intend to marry you, and I could change my mind along the way. No, it's more like that first installment or deposit you put on a house as you make a bid. You see, that's the first installment towards the whole picture. John Stott says this, in giving the Holy Spirit to us, God is not just promising us a final inheritance, but actually giving us a foretaste of it. It's already begun. Jesus came to give you life and abundantly, and the life starts now, and it goes on into eternity. And we know this because we have the Holy Spirit. Frederick Buckner said these words of the Christian experience. He said, what's lost is nothing to what's found. In all the death that ever was, set next to life, would scarcely fill a cup. I mean, that's absolutely the perspective shift we all need when it comes to trusting and following Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We come to that crossroad where I have to make a decision whether to trust Jesus or to be more obedient to Jesus' will in my life. And every time I come to that crossroad, I'm asking a question in myself, is this going to cost me something? The Bible says, absolutely. Jesus himself said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And when you realize that, the first time maybe you've heard the gospel and you've come to the space where you're starting to make a decision on whether you're going to trust Jesus as your Savior or if you're going to let him be Lord of your life, it's, it's jarring. It's, it's almost jarring like if a complete stranger was to come up to you on the street and say, give me your car keys. You're about to head for a great wreck. You can't get yourself through this wreck. But if you give me the keys and let me drive your car, I will take you safely home. Now, what would you say to that person? I'd say, get out of my face. What are you talking about? I'm not giving you the keys. I don't even know you. Now, listen. Even if what they're saying is true, I'm not informed. I don't know it's true. And I can't get past the reality that that person is a stranger to me. If you get into the Bible and you open your heart to it, you begin to realize that God is no stranger to you. He's your creator. God has developed a plan and it's an all-encompassing plan and it involves you. God knows that your sin has caused your life to be heading towards an absolute wreck. And God says if you hand over the keys... I can save you from the wreck. When you know someone has your best interests in mind, you can trust them more. The Bible says, listen, there's only one person you can hand the keys of your life over to. You see, we are actually all the time handing the keys of our lives over to things. Some of us are handing it over to government. We're trusting them for our security. Some of us, it's the medical system or 
fitness and health, and I'm trusting that to get me through. Some of us, it's therapeutic approach. It's my own happiness. It's my financial future, my financial security. I'm handing the keys over to these things. Those things are not trustworthy with the keys. But in these 14 verses, Paul says over and over and over again who's worthy of the keys. He talks about him by name. He calls him Jesus and Jesus Christ. He gives the pronouns. It's he, him, his. He also says in Christ and in him 11 times. Jesus is the only one worthy of taking the car keys of your life. And you come to the realization that he's the only one and the only way to salvation. I love using this expression. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything. Have you given him the car keys of your life? Have you entrusted yourself to him? Have you had that perspective shift where you come to realize that in Jesus you have everything? Let me invite you, if you would, to give God your attention by just simply bowing your head and closing your eyes. And if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning, if God has spoken to you through his word, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that by trusting Jesus as your Savior, by just praying this prayer along with me quietly in your heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe what I've heard this morning. I believe that you're the only Savior and the risen Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want you to come into my life at this moment as best as I know how. I turn my life over to your care and your control. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Paul Gage to come forward. and We wanted to do things a little differently this morning and spend some time praying for Ukraine. So, Paul's going to read a psalm and then lead us in prayer, and then I'll follow that up with prayer, and then we'll dismiss. Sounds good. Pray with me. Let's listen to the Lord. Psalm 34, verses 15 through 19. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Lord, our hearts are are heavy this morning. We've been watching the news, and frankly, we're not sure how to pray. Um, We're experiencing all sorts of emotions like anger and sorrow and helplessness, and frankly, we might might even be a little bit afraid. 
Um, this is a situation that we've not experienced in our lifetime before. And we ask ourselves, uh, is this going to be isolated over there? Is it going to grow? Is it going to involve us? We uh, lift up those that are in our military here in the United States, uh, our sons and daughters and our grandchildren. We pray for protection for them. Lord, we think this morning of those that are in are that refugees that are on the run. Uh, so often it's moms with their children because the dads have had to stay behind. We've seen pictures of cars stuck in traffic and babies being born in the subway and people just fleeing to these other nations that are around them. Lord, we're comforted by Psalm 23 where it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Lord, there are many that believe in you that are in uh, Ukraine. And we know that there are many in these neighboring countries of Moldova, in Romania, Poland, Hungary, and uh, Slovakia. Lord, we lift up these fellow believers as they receive these refugees into their countries. We're reminded this morning of Becky and Corey Coogan who are just next door there in Romania. Lord, it's, it's as if they're on the front lines of all that's happening. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them strength, that, uh, Lord, that if they're involved in some of these refugees' lives, we pray that you would give them uh, the wisdom to know how to respond and how to uh, react. Uh, we've sent people to, Ro to uh, Moldova in the past, and uh, we know that Bud Reed and uh, Michael know so many believers that are over there. We, these people do not have a lot to begin with, and yet, Lord, um, others are coming into their, into their hometown. Lord, give them wisdom. Provide for them. Bless them. We expect a miracle, Lord. Uh, they have nothing. And Lord, we just pray that you would be uh, glorified through them this morning. We lift up President uh, Zelensky, President Putin, President Biden, and other world leaders. Lord, you are in control. You, you are not surprised by what is happening here. You are in control, Lord. We pray that you are glorified, magnified, that you are exalted. We don't know how, Lord, but may you be given all the glory in this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, as we continue in prayer, I read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Lord, it's with that in mind that we know and we understand from your word that this is not ultimately just an act of aggression against Ukraine, but it is against you as well. Uh, you are the rightful ruler of this earth. And um, Lord, we know that as ruler that you are in control, that you are, your good hand of providence is upon all situations. It's sometimes so hard to understand even fully what that means as we watch evil play out. But you've said in your word that you would work all things together for good for those who love you in Christ Jesus. And we believe that. We, we, we claim that promise this morning. You also say in Psalm 2, blessed 
are all who take refuge in Him, in Jesus. I pray for ourselves, Lord, that we would not give way to anxiety or fear. But most of all, I pray on behalf of the people of Ukraine that you would be their refuge today, right now in the midst of this. Provide for the refugees, Lord. Uh, May the Lord's prayer be true for them today. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord, right now. Would they be provided for? For our missionaries, Lord, um, I know many of our missions organizations have written and this has affected many people. Many people we know now, Lord. We understand how close Ukraine is to us because we know people there and we love them. So be with them, Lord. Protect them. And ultimately, Lord, we just pray against evil. We pray against Vladimir Putin. We ask, Lord, that you would work a miracle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with me as I offer a blessing over you? This week, may you experience to a greater degree the depths of God's love. May you grow to look more like Jesus. And may you be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God bless you. Go in peace.